Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And uh, we're here in the final part of this three-parter, I want to say. Well... Final three? <laughs> okay, so we're on episode 20 of Farscape, The Hidden Memory. And if you think of the story as being... LaRock and his crew coming aboard, Moya, Aaron getting stabbed, John infiltrating the Gamic base, the rescue of John from the Gamic base. If you think of that as a three-parter, which it kind of is, everything kind of flows together, hmm. then this is the third part of it. And then after this, there are two more episodes of the season that keep following the events of this one. But next week's episode has a plot which is distinct from the things that have happened in the last three episodes, whereas those three, their plots kind of flow into each other. Okay. But this had kind of a mini movie thing going on. Yeah, and they are going to start doing that in Farscape. In later seasons, there will be a lot of three-parters that are basically mini movies. The next two episodes, kind of, they have their own plots, but they are, they will also deal with what we're going to do with Moya's baby, so... In a way, they continue to flow from this episode. Oh, yeah, Moya's giving birth. Moya is giving birth. She went into labor a while ago, but now it's like she's she's actually giving birth. Yes. Yes. And as I, I brought up on previous episodes, I myself was recently in labor for 12 days, so I'm not going to shade Moya for it. Point. And, and the thing I gave birth to was much smaller than the ship she gave birth to. <laughs> oh, there she is now. <laughs> So, this episode is, as you as you said, this is The Hidden Memory, uh, directed by Ian Watson, who also directed They've Got a Secret, the episode where Moya got pregnant, so it's only right that he bring her to the finish line, so to speak. Mm. And this episode was written by Justin Manju. New name? No. I, in fact, I was going to say, before we were doing this recap, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to who wrote which episodes, mm -hmm. but now that we are, he writes my favorite episodes. I think he might be my favorite of the writers on this show. He wrote The Flax, which other than the last 30 seconds is a great episode. Crackers Don't Matter. He did write Crackers Don't Matter, but I didn't put that one on my list because I mentioned that one so much. Instead, I was going to say he also wrote A Human Reaction. And he wrote two upcoming episodes that means nothing to you but when i tell our listeners who are familiar with farscape that he wrote the locket and kansas he's just a he's a heavy hitter as far as farscape writers go hmm. you ready to get into it yeah so as a reminder john is on the gamic base which is a colony it's a science base it's like a it's a secret science facility you know what it is what it's area 51 it's area 51 which is run by an snm alien uh, he went there because Aaron got stabbed in space, and she needed a very specific space cure for being stabbed, which could only be found in a peacekeeper settlement of some kind. Well, she needed a graft from another peacekeeper. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a cure in a bottle. Yeah, <laughs> not even just a bottle. Like, Jelena was nice enough to put it in, like, one of those hyper syringes so that Zan didn't have to do anything. She could just, like, Speaking of, Zan has been such a non-character recently. She's kind of a non-character in this episode, too. Yeah. Except for one really weird part that we'll talk about when we get there. Yes. So, John and Chiana infiltrated this base to get the cure for Zan. I'm sorry, to get the cure for Aaron, which they did successfully. 
but John got captured and strapped into the worst chair ever by the SNM alien who runs the base. Which, by the way, it turns out that the base, their whole reason to be there is to find wormhole technology, so... You know, for more expedient conquering... Which, weird coincidence that they happen to get John, who is the one dude who has knowledge of wormholes. Especially because it turns out that in that weird cricket alien episode that had the uh, ending scene I couldn't watch without getting a headache. A human reaction written by Justin Moncho. Yes. It turns out, whoa-oh, they actually put some extra stuff in his brain we weren't privy to when we were watching the episode. Yes, John has wormhole technology hidden in his subconscious. Got them brain worms. Yeah. Uh, By the way, you mentioned that they want it for more expedient conquering, and they haven't explicitly talked about this yet, but one of the reasons the peacekeepers are so frightening is they don't just want it for travel, they want it as a weapon. Mm. The idea is that instead of traveling across the galaxy and fighting your enemies, you just open up a wormhole right next to their ships and let them all get sucked in and crushed. Mm. Fair. It's like how the new mutants get rid of all of their enemies by having uh, Ileana Rasputin open portals to hell. Yeah, basically. It's why you don't mess with the Kid X teams. They always end up with weird stuff like, you know, teenage girls who can open portals to hell. Well, kids are like psychopaths, right? That's, that's the thing? Well, it's the, it's, it's the most dangerous time of life because you feel immortal... You're not aware of consequences. Okay, I just want to bring something up. Everybody always says that teenagers feel immortal, and I didn't feel immortal when I was a teenager. I just felt unable to imagine what my future would be. So my nihilism came not from thinking I would live forever, but not being able to imagine a life I wanted to preserve going forward. And it that's not like a that's not like a suicidal thing. Just like my brain could not comprehend what adulthood would be. Mm. I think it's more, you feel more mortal the older you get. I'm definitely, that, that's accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So much more of your life is behind you than in front of you. (laughs) On that cheery note, uh, John is no longer in the worst chair ever. The, I forget what it's called. It's, it's a very unpleasant chair that sucks memories out of your brain. The Aurora chair. The Aurora chair. John is out of it and he's in some sort of prison dirt hole with the Phantom of the Opera guy. Okay, yes. Last week ended up with John in his cell with Stark, who has a metal mask that covers half his face. He's like if the Phantom of the Opera and Zorn had a baby. We talked a whole bunch about Zorn last week. <laughs> yes, we did. I don't remember how much of that actually got through the edit, but... I, I don't either. <laughs> We, we talked about Zorn for a while. Which is weird because we hadn't actually seen yet that the Metal Mask is covering a star. We'll see that this week. Hmm. Star. Ca- oh my god. Uh, it's a Shira ass name, dude. Anyway, John has discovered... Anyway, John has seen how messed up Stark is from being in the chair. So he's like, oh shoot, this chair is gonna mess up my brain too. Because, you know, you would imagine, right? You get in a spinny chair and it sucks out your memories. That's going to mess you up if you do it too much. Yeah, probably not great. Yeah. You know what John should try? Throwing up. You think they'll stop trying to pull out his memories if he throws up on them? I'm, it might slow things down. It couldn't hurt, right? <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> might even mess up the chair. This episode opens back on Moya. 
where Rigel is just, like, ready to ditch John. Rigel's like, all right, let's go. Crace is on... Oh, we didn't mention it when we were mentioning the recap. Oh, because Crace is such a memorable character. Scorpius has called Crace to come to the Gamic base and told him that if he can help him get John's memory out, then he can have John once he has the memory. Because mm. remember, Crace wants revenge. I don't think it really speaks well to Scorpius that he thinks that Crace will be able to positively affect the plot at all. Or affect the plot in any way. Okay, what you're saying is true, but I found the scenes with Crace in this episode incredibly satisfying. I feel like anyone who's had a bad, incompetent boss would find these scenes just immensely satisfying. So what you're saying is Crace is the Michael Scott of space? Well... Crace is the Michael Scott of space, but also he, like, comes in there and he's all carrying it up. He's like, I'd like to speak to your manager. And Scorpius is like, ha, I am the manager. Uh, Have you ever thought about how incomprehensible the English language is, like, to people from even ten years ago? All the time I think about that. I mean, we make fun of Buffy speak. I mean, we don't, but people do. But... It's sort of what you have to do because that's how English works, and you can't use actual slang. Because there are, like, three people who are using actual slang correctly. Well, I mentioned to you before, somebody uh, posted something, and I didn't even post an image in response to what they posted. I just typed out the words, flames on the sides of my face, dot gif. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way language evolves. And uh, it's one of those things where you can't get into it with time travel narratives, but... Okay, wait, I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off just because I, I I was going to say famed YouTube essayist Lindsay Ellis just published a book called Axiom's End. Uh, famed YouTube essayist and New York Times bestselling author. Yes. Anyway, she just wrote Axiom's End, which takes place in 2007. And she has this kind of continuous Twitter thread that she keeps updating where she's researching which terms came into our language in 2007 so she knows what things she can and cannot say in the book. Oh, that's what that's about. You've just seen, like, the individual tweets? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that they were uh, related to her book, which I'm definitely going to read after you're done with it. Yeah, I just started it. It's so good. I'm so into it. So. Back on Moya. Back on Moya. Rigel is like, okay, well, Crace is here, and we don't want to get recaptured, so let's go. He doesn't even mention John. He doesn't even mention his concern about John on the ship. He's just like, let's go. And uh, Pilot lets them know, yeah, birth. Birth is happening. Starburst cannot happen at the same time as birth. You don't go jogging while you're in labor. That, or... well, I, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not at this stage of labor, at least. Also, Pilot lets them know that Moya is concerned because she has realized that the thing she's giving birth to is not a normal leviathan, and nobody knows what is happening. Yeah. Apparently, this kid has a dad who's something different. Yep. Which, uh, I'm just putting this out in the universe. Who do we know has been slipping and sliding through Moya's various orifices? You saying, are you saying Dargo's the daddy? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dargo Daddy. Dargaddy. Dad go. You're looking at me a lot. I don't know if this means I'm very off or very on. You you're off you're off as far as uh you're off as far as the uh the answer as to who impregnated Moya goes, but uh 
there is a there is a speaking of the way languages evolve there is a farscape gift that amongst the farscape community gets cycled through gets used a lot of dargo saying i'm your daddy oh god <laughs> so uh, you 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 accidentally stumbled upon a a a, a, a relevant gift hmm. yes so since starburst is unavailable we cut to zan helping out aaron who is Still suffering from a pretty severe case of getting stabbed. Yeah, they'll say later in the episode that the kind of injury she has usually takes like 10 days to heal. And she just got the graft like a minute ago. So Aaron is, uh, she's just going to power through though, isn't she? Yeah, she's like, look, we can't just leave John. We have to go and rescue John. She's just being told for the first time, by the way, that John is still on the base. They let her... They let her stay there for a while, trying to let her get rest without telling her that John had been captured. And knowing Aaron, that's the kind of thing that's going to piss her off. Well, they blew like three months trying to rescue him last time he got separated from the rest of the group. That's true, they did. But Aaron, as I said, rises up from her deathbed, or her, her sick bed, I guess, because she's not dying anymore. Now she's just healing. Mm. She rises up from her healing bed, dons her peacekeeper gear, and is like, nope, we're going to the gamut base. Look, I'm just going to shoot everyone in the base, we'll get John back, and then I can relax. Then I can recover. Yes. I guess you're not really relaxing when you're recovering from being stabbed. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you're healing. I appreciate both Dargo and Xan are like, yeah, we're going with you. This is obviously where the A-plot is. We're going with you. Xan's like, I haven't seen an A-plot in so many episodes. Just let me near it. Right. Zan also, I mean, she justifies it by saying that if John is damaged by the chair, then he'll want the healer right there with him. And uh, healer. Aaron says, I'm hoping John will be strong enough to resist the chair. I This moment really struck me because Aaron has confidence in John. Hmm. I, I This is a weirdly specific trope where... One person is going on a rescue mission of someone else, and it seems like it's probably hopeless, but the person going on the rescue mission has so much respect for the person they're rescuing, they're like, a normal person would already be, like, brain-swish-cheesed right now, but I know John can resist, so it's worth it to go rescue him. I do appreciate that she doesn't go the direction she very easily could, which is, I think John is too stupid to be affected that badly by the chair. But she doesn't think that anymore. I, I mean, by this point in the series... Aaron has respect for John. I am glad that we're past the everyone's treating John like a particularly thick beagle part of the show because that that got old really, really fast. What's funny is there's an episode in the future where they there's a body swap episode coming up. Mm-hmm. And in the body swap episode, Rigel complains that everyone listens to whatever John says. Like, oh, you just do whatever he says. Uh, that's such a change from the early episodes where... <laughs> John was saving everyone all the time and no one was listening to him at all, ever. John was saving people all the time with tech that he was unfamiliar with. And they were like, ha, you don't even know how to open a door. You know who John was? Who? John was the villain kids from The Descendants, where he showed up at Auroradon. Where he showed up at Aurora Don High and they were like, what? You don't know how to do trigonometry? What? Did you grow up on an island that we banished your parents to where you had no access to schooling? God. 
is the, is the second Descendants episode uh, still up on our Patreon? Because honestly, I am champing at the bit to talk about that. You know what? I was actually going to redo our Patreon. I I it's bad. I haven't touched our Patreon in so long, but I'm going to restructure the Patreon with um. So I may as well say it here so people know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to restructure the Patreon so that it's got a bunch of um, milestone goals, right? So I'm just going to put a whole bunch in there. And so it'll be the second and third Descendants movies, which, like you, I am champion at the bit to do. And the TV show The Charmings. Mm-hmm. And basically, there's so many side TV shows and movies and stuff I want to do that I'm going to make those a bunch of milestone goals that we do at, like, the $25 marks, like just really fast marks because, you know, I want to do them. I want to record them. (laughs) Um, Also, I'm trying to think of the other ones I wanted to put on there. Also, maybe some Charmed related ones, like... New Charmed? Not not New Charmed. Or New Charmed would be like $1,000 a month. (laughs) But... Like the comics or... Yeah, like the comics. That's one I definitely want to do. Also, perhaps... This might be a stretch, but maybe the craft. Ooh. Maybe do one where we talk about the craft because it's basically because Charmed is basically the craft of the movie. Yes, Charmed did very, very. When it was it, it's half. It, actually, it's more of a ripoff of Buffy, but there is very, very strong elements of the craft in there, including their theme song until they lost it. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, hey, yeah. feel 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 free, even if you're not a patron, to. To say on our Facebook page what other things I should put as milestone goals for when I get around to doing that. You're very emphatic about not doing New Charmed. Well, okay, because when I watched it, I found it boring. And as far as oh yeah, and as far as talking about things, I'd much rather talk about something that I love that's really good or something that I hate that's really terrible. Something that's just boring is it's, it's not as interesting to talk about. I know we talked about this so much before, but. They can't stick to a plot. Why are we supposed to be invested in these characters if everything changes every two episodes because the writers got bored? What is this, Once Upon a Time, season seven? Which, I'm sorry, why is that a thing now? Like, Star Wars, multi-billion dollar, multi-billion dollar uh, property, and yet... Rise of the Skywalker feels like it was written by, I don't know, J.J. Abrams looking at the internet for 15 seconds, being like, what do people want to see? Let's just slap all that in a movie. Oh, speaking of what people want to see. Yeah. Another tier I was thinking of adding was fan fiction reviews. Oh, I don't know. That seems like it might be mean. No. I would only do fan fiction that I genuinely liked after contacting and getting permission from those authors. Okay, that would that would kind of have to be a you thing, because that might just be a me thing. <laughs> I've I've I I can't get into fan fiction. I I've tried stuff that's been recommended as genuinely good, and even then, it's just not something that. Did you ever actually sit down and read any Mirror of Maybe? No, I I've I've tried me- uh, methods of rationality. Which... Okay, but methods of rationality is like a satire of fan fiction. So if you don't like fan fiction, I don't think you could get into that one. Mm. I liked that uh, Skeletor uh, from He-Man Death from uh, Discworld slash fic that I found for Joe's party. That was really legitimately funny and well-written. Yeah. (laughs) Farscape. Farscape. Back on the gamut base, John is in the chair and we're getting flashes of prior episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
Crace is standing over him and he's like, there's no use resisting Crichton. And I'm like, Crace, don't act like this is your thing. <laughs> this isn't your chair. He's basically doing that thing that, you know, you do when you take your car in where the guy's explaining what's going on, you know, and you're just kind of leaning over your car and you're like, yep, that sure is how cars work. Oh, I don't do that. I just give him the car and then go sit in the waiting room. <laughs> I was thinking he's more like, like your typical middle manager or you know, like Sean from The Good Place where he's like, yeah, this is this is my project now. Definitely. Now that I see it's working, I, I'm definitely... Uh... People at auto repair stores, please don't feel obligated to do that. I don't know anything that's going on. You don't need to explain stuff. Just tell me how much money to give you to make my car work again. Oh, is this because you're a guy that they try to explain it to you? I think probably. Like oh. they feel like I'll, I don't know, be mad if they don't act like I know what's up. Oh, no, I just give him the keys and go sit in the waiting room. Watch the uh, the Golden Girls reruns that are playing on daytime TV and the tiny little TV in the corner and drink the stale coffee. It's been a while since you've been to one, right? To a, a car repair place? Because I feel like I never see Golden Girls. I feel like it's always those weird, like... Or those in- judge shows. Uh, I feel like it's always those weird, like, infotainment shows. Like, it's like the Today Show, except it's all ads. I feel like those are the things oh. that I always see running in, like, Jiffy Lube or wherever now. Gotcha. I, yeah, I mean, I don't have a car anymore, so yeah, I guess it's been quite a while since I went to, probably several years, because we live in Portland, which has a robust public transportation system, so I don't have a car, we just have your car, and also, we haven't left the house in several months, because everything. everything. So, <laughs> so... John is uh, thrown out of his wheelie chair and back into the pit with half Starface guy. Stark. I'm sorry. It's it's so Shirai. I okay. I never even thought of it as being because his face is all glowy. I just Stark. It's he, a name. He's he's got a star behind his face. Stark. He, he he does. You're not you're not wrong. But I never I never made that connection. He's this he's this universe's Tossanetta. What is that from? It's from She-Ra. She's the lady. Does she throw a net? She throws nets. I don't remember that character at all. Is she in the new She-Ra? Yes. Oh, I maybe she must be further along. I have I've watched all of the new She-Ra, so she must be further than I've gotten. She's she's like one of the two princesses that's are that are already part of the council, but they don't say or do anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I've I kind of fell off She-Ra after a while. Like it's fine, but. Eh. It's one of those things where I'm like, this is well done, but it's also not my demographic. It's solidly my demographic. I just haven't caught up on it. No no reason that I haven't. I just haven't. I, I mean, it's it's a really well done show. I just, I like the hokey old stuff. I like the, you know, terrible, terrible animation and the dead, dead eyes. And, you know, the fact that they only have two voice actors. So... You know, everyone who's not the main cast is like, (laughs) okay, well, the new She-Ra is 100% my jam, and I do like all of the bits of it that I have seen, Mm. but I still have like two seasons to catch up on. I think we're about in the same, I think I saw maybe one more season than you. Yeah. Well, you know when I used to watch She-Ra? On the bus when I was commuting to work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So back in John's cell, Stark is acting kind of squirrely, and John's like, what are you doing? And Stark is like, don't spy on me! And 
threatens him, and John asks if he's a spy, and Stark asks if John's a spy, and, and, and Stark threatens to kill John, and John says, oh, you don't have to. Scorpion, Peacekeeper, Barbie will do it for you. Okay. Peacekeeper, Barbie? He's referring to Scorpius's lieutenant, who, as we talked about last week, is like the chick with the leather outfit and the- The really bad red wig. Okay, it's only bad if you don't think of it as a wig. It's gothy. It's like a goth red wig with, like, a strong bang with, like, a dip in the middle, like a little widow's peak. A widow's peak within the bangs. Here's the thing. It looks like it's made out of the same material as the grass they put in Easter egg baskets. Well, no, it's it's a $10 wig that you buy at a party store for a Halloween costume. But also, I think you mean Monster High. Peacekeeper Monster High, John. Peacekeeper Barbie is like Jelena. Jelena is Peacekeeper Barbie. Just, I... I know that Monster High didn't exist yet. Maybe Bratz Peacekeeper? Peacekeeper Bratz? This might predate Bratz, too. Ugh, Bratz. Okay, so there's- I mean, the line's dead. There's no use complaining about it now. It's just creepy that they sold, like, Bratz babies with a Z, and they had, like, the heavy eyeshadow and, like, baby heels, and it's, like, it's creepy. It's creepy. The whole Bratz line is creepy. You know, John Voight was in that movie. The Bratz movie? Yeah. He's the evil principal. Who made them split up? Because the whole movie is about how you have to stay within your cliques, and these girls overcome the clickness of high school with the power of friendship. Yes. Which is such a, like, dystopian YA novel. I mean, that's basically the plot of Divergent. I just... Why are they brats in that universe? Like... Well, oh, oh, I mean, seriously, it's like just a generic high school movie that then they, like, slapped the brats label on. Yes. Yeah. Which... You gotta sell those dolls, Max! Gotta move those units! John Voight will be in anything, which I guess makes sense. Except his daughter's life! (laughs) Oh, burn. Well, he... He was a shitty dad! She's totally right to cut him off, by the way, is my opinion. Well, he needs to make that money so he can, I don't know, fund Fox News or something? He's... He's right-wing and... That really weird way that some celebrities are right-wing. Well, because he was right-wing prior to the right moving, like, into, like, the territory they're in now. But he is still right-wing, but now he's, like, a liberal member of the right-wing instead of, like, solidly in the middle of the right. Well, I mean, he he posts some pretty crazy stuff on Twitter. Like, he's one of those corona... Uh, deniers oh i didn't know that and he thinks that it's all a plot to put chips into american people so that the government can track them i have bad news for him about his phone his car his watch i this is you don't need chips to track people we're all carrying at least three items that can be used to track you at any time it's it's so funny it's like you think the government is surveilling you Are you completely unaware that Mark Zuckerberg became rich when he realized that we would surveil ourselves? That we would just post all of our information for them? Well, it's a, uh... 1984 versus Brave New World. Oh, I I was gonna say, uh, yeah, it's George Orwell versus Ray Bradbury, where, you know, 1984, the government's gonna surveil you, uh, Fahrenheit 451, you are going to surveil yourself. Oh, well, yeah, no, I mean, that's the same deal with, with Brave New World. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's the same basic thing. Like, there are people who are like, oh, no, the government's going to do this, that, and the other. And there are other people who are like, you just give people the opportunity and they spy on themselves. Just ask people to talk about themselves. Yeah, which I'm guilty of. Oh, yeah. Like. I mean, we're, we're out here living in public literally right now. Like, whatever. Whatever. Privacy's dead. I'm sorry, we were talking about Farscape at some point. There's just... I love how we went from Peacekeeper Barbie to talking about George Orwell. The surveillance state? The surveillance state. You know, somehow that seems appropriate. So We're all Barbie girls living in Barbie worlds. Life in plastic is fantastic. Whoa. Whoa. You know what? Aqua needs to make a comeback as a band. I I was just going to say, maybe I was wrong to criticize John. Maybe she is Peacekeeper Barbie. Hmm. So so the two of them bond over their hatred of Scorpius and... Yeah, so right after they stop fighting, Stark retreats to his corner and is like, okay, do you want to see what I was working on? By the way? And I know when we were watching this, you were like, wow, just tell this stranger all your secrets. But I just think it shows how hungry for contact stark is he's been alone with you know other than the peacekeepers who are torturing him Mm. for two years so of course as soon as someone shows up he's like hey check out this magnetic crypto encoder that i managed to put together so that i can try to crack the door code do you think barbie translated as like whatever his species used as dolls or do you think because it's like a brand name, it just stayed Barbie and he didn't get what, you know, it was? Because he seems to get the implication of what Barbie is. Uh, I'm just wondering how far the translator microbes go on this sort of thing. Okay, so now, like, my mind is blown because he's from a Bannock slave race, okay? The power that he has that we're going to see later on in this episode, his race was enslaved so that other races could use that power. Yeah. What? kind of culture would they have like what kind of culture would he be familiar with or or is he only familiar with like the peacekeeper culture and would they have i feel like the peacekeepers would have dolls and toys because i feel like they would train their children through play in in mm-hmm. in the things that they want their children to grow up with okay i'm gonna be pondering on this huh thing you got to think about when you're talking about you know alien cultures yeah well there's an episode in one of the early episodes of enterprise scott bakula is talking to an alien girl and he says he talks about a dog and because there's no direct translation for dog like the translators don't translate that and she's like i'm sorry what because how many people do you think porthos got killed over the course of that show it has to be a few right um, zero? All dogs are good dogs? Oh my god! At Star Trek, every main member of the cast has gotten at least a few people killed. Remember when Wesley was, like, growing potatoes or something? And No, no, he, he left the top. It's so bad, because it's not even like it... It's not even like it's an understandable accident. He forgot to put the top on his nanorobots overnight, and they got out and infected the ship. Oh god, Wesley. I feel like, as we've been going through Star Trek, I feel like the common thread is that all of the nerds had to go into space to explore, but really so that they could do their experiments and stuff without getting beat up. I feel like Earth is just entirely run by bullies at this point, and the whole Federation was just them trying to get away from, you know, getting shoved into future lockers. 
I feel like the pe- all, all the nerds went into space, and based on what we do see when we see San Francisco in Star Trek, I think I think Earth is just the Eloy from the Time Machine. Those are the pretty people who live on the surface and forgot how to read and stuff. Oh. So the Earth, and they're all happy and whatever, even though they're food for the Morlocks, but it, the Earth is just populated by Eloy and everyone else went out into space. I don't know. I just, I see Riker, who's like supposed to be this suave ladies man, and you know, he, he's like, uh, hello, alien hot ladies. Why don't you watch me play this tuba? And I'm like... He plays the trumpet, which is way sexier than the tuba. I have been conspicuously getting the instrument that he plays wrong every time I reference it. When I made a joke about it on Twitter, I, 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 I used trombone when he uh, approached What's-Her-Bucket, that yes. lady who ends up sleeping with Q. Uh, Vosh. When he's like, hey, sexy lady, want to come back to my uh, my room and watch me uh, play with my tromboner? And Vosh is like, why Why are you this show's sex symbol? Why? Farscape. Okay, so, so, so John and Stark are bonding in prison over the fact that they both think Scorpius is a real dill hole. Yeah, and they talk a little bit about blocking memories because Stark is like, oh, shoot, I told you about the magnetic encoder. Now you're totally going to get it sucked out of you in the chair. And Stark says he's the only person who can consistently block memories Mm. from the chair. Which makes sense because he's, you know, got a star in his brain. Exactly. And that is the reason that he can block memories. It's the star in his brain. And John tells Stark that he has managed to, so far, successfully block a memory, even though it's not the wormhole technology that Scorpius thinks he's blocking. He's blocking something else. <gasps> we already know, though. I don't know why they play it like that. He's blocking the knowledge that Jelena is the person on the base that's been helping him. Yes. Because he doesn't want to get her killed. Oh, John. Poor, stupid John. So the rescue team lands on the base. Luckily, I like this. Because it's a secret base, there are no sensors or stuff up on the surface level because that would give away the base to people who are scanning the planet. And they're able to utilize that when they land. I like that they explained it in a way that it, it makes sense. It, like, fits in with the world. I'm just, it, it works for me. Oh, so Jelena hacks into the jailhouse talkie computer. Yeah, so she was able to do that last episode, too. She can talk through the speaker at John, and for whatever reason, the guards have a soundless camera, so they can't hear her talking to him. They So she just tells me, you know, keep your back to the camera, and uh, she'll... she'll She's there. She's watching him. She's going to figure something out. She tells him that last episode, Shiana got off the base. But obviously, she doesn't know if Aaron lived or not. She just knows that Shiana successfully got off the base. She thinks that John's in love with her because Shiana said that he was to make sure that she'd help. She hopes that John's in love with her because she's in love with John. But she's not stupid and she's kind of genre savvy she knows that he's not really she just hopes he is yeah genre savvy savvy. back on moya the ship is like rocking in the labor and it's not good for chiana and rigel who are still on the ship yeah moya is having a difficult birth yep yep and uh chiana and rigel talk about it a little bit and 
Chiana doesn't know why Rigel can't just, like, chill out and not not have a panic attack. He says he has conceived hundreds of progeny. And Chiana gives him a little shade for not having been present at any of the births. Rigel's not a body breeder. Sure. The mother didn't need to be present at the birth. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you don't see your kids until they're, like, adults on Rigel planet. Hi, Miria. Yes. But also, like... Even if he had been present at the birth, it would do nothing to help him with this situation because his birth were kids coming out of eggs, not out of a birth canal. Yeah. Get your head out of your ass, Chiana. <laughs> so, back on the base. Okay, we saw last episode Chiana just using her sex appeal to get whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. And I like, I feel like we're seeing Jelena do that here, except it's like nerd sex appeal. Because remember, Jelena's a technician. So she gets into the Aurora chair, like super close to the other guy who's working on the Aurora chair. And she's like, hey, you need me to patch the power conduits? Because you know I'm super good at power conduits. And he's like, ooh, I love your technical expertise. Yeah, basically, she just kind of uses her rear end to shove him out of the way, and he's like, oh, physical contact, I have to go. But I think he's also, like, super turned on by, you know, what a good technician she is. Yes. So she gets in there, and- By the way, Star Trek Lower Decks is really funny. Yes. That just reminded me of that joke and everything. I'm not a huge Star Trek person, but I really enjoyed it. And I know the style is putting a lot of people off, but it's not that Rick and Morty-ish. No, it's fine. It's just, it's a really simple style and people are like, oh, that means it's Rick and Morty. It's not. It's fine. It's a, it's a very cute show. Yeah. And I'm sure you'd enjoy it more if you had more knowledge of Star Trek, which I only have some. I, I really love when she's showing him the uh, the board with all of the pictures on it and the string. And one of the things is all of the string is connected to a picture of whales. <laughs> I... I liked some of the references, and some of them annoyed me. Oh, like like what? So, well, one in particular annoyed me, which is that the the doctor on the ship is named Wesley, presumably as a reference to Wesley Crusher, mm-hmm. and his mother being the doctor on the Enterprise. But I'm like, yeah, but Wesley didn't go into medical. He turned, he went into space and became a god, which I know is like strong nerd vibes here. But I'm like. Doesn't have to be Dr. Wesley. And it's not theoretically Wesley Crusher. It's just the name is a reference to Wesley. But that was like, you know what it reminded me of? What? The end of Dark Knight when uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character turns out to be named Robin. I'm like, oh. I'm like, that's not a reference. You're just saying the one word everyone knows. That's, that's what it felt like to me. That's are, not a reference. You're just saying the word everyone knows. Are we far enough away from those movies for people to admit that they're not actually good? Because they're not. Well, they just... they. They had no joy about them. In fact, there was only one thing in all three movies that contained any joy, and that was the portrayal of Catwoman, which I did really love. And Because it's the one version of Catwoman that, you know, doesn't have weird magic crap involved with it in cinema. <laughs> she didn't become a cat by being licked <laughs> to life by cats after being defenestrated. Okay, so a couple of nights ago... I just remembered the scene in the Halle Berry Catwoman movie when, you know, she gets knocked out of the pipe by the sludge and then a whole bunch of cats start burping on her and it brings her back to life. 
and I couldn't stop laughing because it's such a I get it they're like they're breathing cat energy into it but it just looks like they're all burping okay. they're all burping onto her until she's not dead anymore they're all breathing cat energy into her is not significantly less silly than anything else you just said and then she gets all of the cat superpowers like being able to ride a motorcycle or give herself a really cool haircut like cats do God. Oh, and she's really good at basketball. You know, like, like a cat. cats. <laughs> you know how good at basketball cats are. Uh, uh, I actually think the Catwoman movie is pretty funny as long as you're not actually watching it. I've never seen the Catwoman movie. The Catwoman movie was actually the point in time where I, a nerd who grew up in the 90s before everything was nerd culture, mm-hmm. cat, the Catwoman movie was the point where I was like, oh. Just because they're pandering to me doesn't mean I have to see it. That movie's going to be really bad. I just won't go see it. Okay, so the thing that I love about nerd culture being as ubiquitous as it is currently is that I don't ever have to see another Batman movie again. Because I I saw all the Batman movies because it was the only nerd stuff out there. I don't care about Batman. Okay, but... I mean, I'm going to see the Robert Pattinson Batman movie because... Just check it in on that, okay? <laughs> well, it's because I genuinely enjoy him as a person. And also, Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. Oh. But you saw that's that... That's going to be amazing. You saw that thing where uh, he told his personal trainer that he wasn't going to uh, work out during quarantine. And they're like, but you need to be in shape to be Batman. And he's like, they already hired me. I didn't see that. That's awesome. <laughs> oh. So he's not doing that, Ben Affleck. I'm gonna get crazy ripped to be uh, Batman. Good. It's so bad for people. Yeah, and but let's like normalize people not having to do that. Yeah, and like you know, it's gonna end up causing some sort of super bone cancer or something. Like, well, it it destroys your metabolism for ages after. I'm sure. Oof. So in John's cell, Jelena's talking to him through the camera again, and she tells him that when he gets in the chair, just think about the time they kissed on the Zilbinian. Stop blocking that memory, just remember that thing. And John's like, but then they'll know about you. And she's like, clearly I did something, John. (laughs) Clearly I did something. And then there's a small thing that I love. The guards come to get John, and Stark runs up to them and is like, no, don't take him, take me. Put me in the chair. Because he's protecting John having this conversation with Jelena. Oh, that's that's sweet of Stark. I mean, he's only known this guy for, like... He's really desperate for non-chair-based interactions. Yeah. It's, like, sad and touching at the same time. So, Scorpius is like, I'm going to, uh... I'm going to pull everything out of your brain, but if you want to just tell me how to use wormholes then maybe i won't and john's like scorpius also tells him i already know everything else about you i know you're on an escaped prison ship i know the ship is pregnant and john says you know who the daddy is which is just john being snarky because he doesn't know what's going on up on moya he doesn't know that her that the ship's parentage has actually come into question Oh, God, are they going to have to go on Space Mori? Oh, my God. 
face Maury. No. Is no. Maury still on? Is Maury still a thing? How weird is it that he's married to Connie Chung? I did not know that. And it's very weird. Yeah. So, is Scor- I'm sorry, I just have to say, as Scorpius is dragging John away, Crace jumps in and is like, I'm going to enjoy ripping the truth out of your head, John. And it's again, Crace, not your deal. Yeah. You, he doesn't even go here. Not your circus, not your clowns. So in the chair, John does as Jelena said and remem- remembers the time that he kissed her on the Zalbinian. And whoop, she's put a fake memory into the chair. <gasps> oh my goodness. I thought the chair didn't gel. With- well, I guess she messed with the chair directly. Yeah. Because, you know, it saw through John's fake memory of the cricket people. Right. Yeah, no, she she messed with the chair directly. So it's the, the this memory is like into the chair. And... <laughs> but it, it's still using some of what John knows. As we watch, we, we, we see the whole fake memory. But the fake memory is interspersed with scenes from the Maldus episode where he learned Crace's backstory. Mm. In the false memory, he learns Crace's backstory because... They're buddies. Yeah. So the false memory is that apparently John came aboard after he winged Crace's brother's ship. And... Gave Crace the wormhole technology, and Crace now has the wormhole technology. Yeah, in these new memories, they were best friends. They were braiding each other's hair, pinning each other's nails, swapping wormhole secrets. I I can't tell you. I love this so much because, you know, at, that plays out on the screen, and Crace is like, surely you don't believe that? He's lying! And Scorpius is like, he's... That's not how the chair works. You and, can't lie to a chair. And John, considering how tortured he has been, is so fast on the uptake. He's like, oh, Grace, looks like we're found out. And I, I just I just really, really love Grace getting some comeuppance here. I love how Grace runs over and punches John in the stomach after John's like, oops, they caught us, Grace. <laughs> he just punches him in the stomach. That... You're not making yourself look more innocent, Grace. Well, I mean, Grace has already really, really lost it. So uh, he, he had already lost it before because you'll remember, and you'll be reminded this episode, he was ordered back by Peacekeeper High Command. And instead of going back, he killed his lieutenant and pretended he never got the call. I honestly kind of wish we got more Grace because his bug eyes are really, really funny here. We might get some more of Grace. Oh, God. Do he... Does does he go on like a Zuko esque adventure with John, where the two of them have to learn valuable life lessons together? Sort of. Is there a thing where they uh, talk about how John's girlfriend got turned into the moon? No. That's rough, buddy. <laughs> that is not what happens. <laughs> okay, so Scorpius is like, wait, if uh, if this is all a lie, then is all that stuff about your backstory? A lie, too, because in John's memory, Grace is telling him his backstory. And Grace is like, no, that's, that is my backstory. But I don't know how he knows, which is weird because you do know how he knows. Yeah, the, the wizard, the wizard that made A you... wizard did it! <laughs> but uh, but dear, actually... Dear Lord. But, but he did. I know. Maldus did it. Maldus is really more a space vampire than a wizard. <laughs> it's really a vampire did it. 
Maldus is just an update of that guy from that episode of Star Trek we saw with the kids that killed their parents because the angel told them to. Yeah, basically. Oh, I hate that episode. Kirk kills two people in that episode, and it's completely unremarked upon. He's like, oh, huh, I guess they're dead. Oh, well, like, what the hell is wrong with Kirk? You know, for someone who doesn't like Star Trek... You sure, you sure have been talking about it for the past three hours? Yes. Also, I, I know I mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again, because I'm going to keep mentioning it so that it happens. When we are done with Farscape, you and I, welcome to the cute continuum. So Scorpius is like, well, Crace, if what John is saying is a lie, even though that's not the way the chair works, how about if we uh, just put you in the chair? And Crace is like, I'd rather not... Also, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a commander. And Scorpius is like, dude, this is my planet. I can I can do whatever I want here. Yes. Al- also, also, I've been listening to some radio chatter. And it turns out that you basically quit the peacekeepers <laughs> to go chasing after this dude. Which, I don't know how that fits in the whole narrative we've established. But I'm willing to fry your brain to find out. I love, I, I love this. Scorpius looks over at Krasis soldiers and is like, so your boss is going off the edge, and I'm pretty sure I am the star to hit your wagon to, as it were, so... Hey, when was the last time you saw that blonde second-in-command lady? Yeah. He says, I just want you to follow your heart, like he's Cyclops talking to Dracula. God. Curse of the Mutants is terrible, but it's also kind of great. There's a scene where a priest blesses Iceman so he can kill uh, vampires by touching them. Awesome. On the surface of the planet. Also, can, you're you're formerly Catholic. Would that work? Is that a thing you can do? Because I know you can't like turn the ocean into holy water, no matter how many priests you gather. Why can't you turn the ocean into holy water? Isn't that a thing? Can you do that? Why haven't priests done that already? Surprise baptismal to everyone who goes swimming in the ocean. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. You have to renounce Satan when you're baptized. Oh. You can't just accidentally wander into holy water. Well, and holy water isn't only used for baptism. Oh, yeah. It's also used for killing vampires. <laughs> I'm just saying you could get rid of a lot of vampires if you just got some priests together to bless the ocean. So when I was running a Buffy tabletop role-playing game, mm-hmm. in the story of my game, the Vatican has a bunch of talismans in in the in the basement, in the crypts below the, the Vatican, that imbue holy water and crosses with power, and that's why they work against vampires, even if you don't have faith. Hmm. It's true. Willow is canonically Jewish, and then Wiccan. But that weird offshoot of Wicco that gives you actual superpowers. But, uh, and crosses always work for her. Yeah. Also, you bless yourself with holy water. Like, when you walk into a Catholic church, there's a little dish of holy water um, by the door, and you, like, dip your fingers in it and crush yourself. You, like, bless yourself with the holy water as you walk in. And in a... I was going to say post-pandemic in a mid-pandemic world. All the I can... water gun thing. Well, no, I just think, oh my god, there, that was that must have been so filthy. Right? We all put our hands in there? I, surely Catholic churches are going to have to stop doing that now, right? Well, you saw that thing with the... With the, with the squirt guns for the baptism? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm assuming that's just sort of what's going on. Right, but I mean, you're not going to, like, squirt people's fingers every time they walk in. I think that that tradition's just going to go away. Yeah, it's possible. Weird. I'm just saying, 
priests need to get on the whole blessing the ocean thing if that's not an impossible thing to do. I'm Maybe sure... that's why we don't see vampires. Point. Vampires are all landlocked to the old countries. <gasps> that's why vampires can't cross moving water! Mm. There you go. They can't. That's part of their mythology. I know. Okay. Lots of things can't. That's true. Witches, allegedly. It's because it's holy water. Because <laughs> some... Cause some uh... Some smart-ass priest was like, wait a sec. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, oh. so in the, uh, you know, future end times when everything's all flooded, we won't have to worry about vampires. That is my assumption, yes. So we'll don't have to worry about Kevin Costner. Well, I suppose say this way, you don't see any vampires in Waterworld. So on the surface of the planet... Zan and Dargo are like, so I guess we'll stay up here and make explosives for the final battle scene. I guess that's our deal this episode. It's like early Buffy where Xander and Willow had to carve out uh, stakes for Buffy to use. Yes! Remember how that was a thing in like the first two seasons and then they're like, no, we're not going to bother with that anymore. Well, they, they had stocked up. They had plenty of snakes. And Aaron is going to go down. She finds an access shaft to enter the gamut base. And she is such an action hero that everything she goes into turns into a fog and sparks factory. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. She enters the place immediately. It's a, it's the final set in every 80s action movie. Yeah. I, I feel like there should be like an 80s power ballad playing around her. She, what, what was Bonnie Raitt up to in the 90s? Right? Ugh. Also, I feel like power ballad should make a comeback. I agree, 100%. Also, I want to make a music video, an, a Farscape music video with Aaron with I Need a Hero Now. I think that would be awesome. I have like five different covers of that on my iPhone. Really? Yeah. It's an oft-covered song. I know, I'm just surprised you have so many downloaded. I mean, it's a good song. I like it. I'm a fan of it. Yeah. I wonder what the original music video for it was like, because you saw the one for uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart, right? That one's bonkers. That one's so weird. It makes me wish uh, music videos were still a thing that didn't just exist for the 15 seconds where Taylor Swift is on her phone. So, you know. What? That's all. That's the whole thing behind music videos now. They exist so, you know, a celebrity will be on a certain phone. I guess that's not true anymore. That was like, it was like 10 years ago. That was the whole thing behind music videos was, you know, oh, the celebrity is using their phone at the beginning and then you go out and buy a nokia sidekick or whatever oh okay yeah but no, that's not really what they are anymore now they're weird little films which is cool like that's it's cool it's just it's a very odd pivot well okay so i think the way it worked was when music videos first came about they were to sell the music yeah yeah, the the music video was just advertising the song and then it became the music video was advertising whatever it was advertising crystal or whatever it's the song was just an accessory to the music video which was an ad for pepsi or whatever but now i think we've cycled back around to the music video is advertising the song and not just the music video is advertising the song but in a way the music video is the song because a lot of people listen to music off of like youtube yeah and youtube is even counted on the billboard charts now youtube views as demonstrated by justin bieber's trying to game the system with yummy oh god it's fascinating it's very sad but it's fascinating like he uploaded like four different lyric videos or whatever of the song so it would get counted multiple times on the billboard charts it's weird it's really sad dude it's okay to not be super famous anymore he still is though that's the thing it it's okay to not have a number one song you can just not have a number one song 
it's fine. Also, Danny Gonzalez's version of it is so much better. <laughs> and he wrote it in like a day and it's like head and shoulders. I do love Danny Gonzalez's version of Yummy. He's a very, uh, he's a very talented young man. He's a really talented musician, but with a style of music that... It, it couldn't exist outside of the context of YouTube. Yeah. I'm so glad YouTube exists so that he can he can be a musician. Well, it's like that thing Andy Samberg did, the Bash Brothers uh, musical, uh, the Bash Brothers visual poem. Yes. Where you're like, I don't know what this is. I really like it, but it can only exist in this weird liminal Netflix space. Yeah, it can only exist in a streaming environment. Or the Sack Lunch Bunch. Like, I love the Sack Lunch Bunch, but like... I mean, that couldn't have been a TV. I mean, maybe on Adult Swim. Maybe on Adult Swim, but, like, there are so few venues for this, like, weird experimental media. So, are you saying that we should stop complaining about how many streaming services there are now? No, I'm not saying that. Because I'm pretty sure that uh, there are some things that can only exist on Quibi. I'm sure there are, and I'm okay with never seeing any of those things because Quibi is just flawed from the ground up. Also, you saw that thing about how the way it's designed is just to get around filming union labor laws, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's really no level at which Quibi is not a mess. Yeah, but like HBO has like what four different streaming services now. I refuse. I I canceled my HBO subscription because I was so mad that they wanted to introduce HBO Max that I canceled HBO Go. Yeah, like. I'm sorry, you don't get that many bites of the apple. You can't split your stuff like that. There are legitimately shows I want to watch on HBO Max, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to watch it, because you're trying to charge for multiple streaming services. Yeah. That's a major BS. Yep. Come on. And you know I want to watch that uh, JT Quetzal show about uh, the the new parents. Remember I showed you that clip? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The animated show. Yeah. I, like, I want to see that. I'm glad that they're finally letting that guy make adult animation. And it looks really funny from the clips of it I've seen, but I'm not paying an extra $12 a month for that. I, and especially if you're trying to say, like, oh, well, you need HBO Go, and you need HBO Max, and you need the HBO add-on to Hulu, and you need this, that, and the other. I'm like, have you HBO. <laughs> You can't. <laughs> I mean, HBO Go and the HBO add-on to Hulu were the same thing. Okay, fair. But still, come on. Yeah. Also, make it really, really Hulu stars is its own separate thing now too. Oh, you know what one drives me crazy is HBO Live TV. Uh, you know the one that drives me crazy is Hulu Live TV. Like, I get if you want a separate Hulu add-on specifically for like award shows and sports, but. Don't put random TV shows and movies on live TV. That's not what that is. You're just trying to force me to buy your sports package. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And the thing is, like, the thing that made Netflix big is they're like, look, you don't need cable. And then they... I I know this is... Well, it's not Netflix's fault. Yeah, it's not Netflix's fault. And it's by... This is by no means a hot take, but you just recreated cable. Except worse. Except worse, because now you have to pay... Six to eight bucks a channel. Well, I mean, isn't that like a microcosm of what tech has done? You just recreated X, except worse. Yeah. 
Well, remember Elon Musk's thing where he- About buses? He created buses. He was like, what if there was an Uber-like service that followed a specific route so you knew where it was going to be at a given time, and then it, like, had a big van that took multiple people? I am a genius man. (laughs) It honks me off so much that he bought an entire episode of The Simpsons- that was just everyone kissing his ass for how smart he is. Oh, it's so painful to watch, it's, too. It's so painful. And I'm like, this is the sort of thing old Simpsons would have made fun of? Like, there, there's no mm-hmm. way this would have flown back in, back when the Simpsons were at the height of their power, which I know is like 20 years ago at this point. Over 20 years ago at this point. Yeah. But, like, people talk smack about the Lady Gaga episode. Which I think it's... I thought the Lady Gaga episode was fine. I know it's just with that episode. Yeah, it's cute. It's cute. I mean, there are, there are some dumb moments in it, but it's Modern Simpsons. Like, there's like three... Like, Lower your expectations. Lower your expectations. It's not one of the... It's not even one of the worst episodes. There's the weird Mr. Burns builds SJW robots to infiltrate Yale episode, which is... I think legitimately one of the worst pieces of television ever. Wow. It's one of those things where you're like, oh my God, was this like written by a, like, who wrote this? How did this pass through all of these layers to get created? Because it's, it's... Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Millhouse becomes an MRA episode. It's it, legitimately good. Yeah. Well, it's Megan Amram. Yeah. Just let Megan Amram write all of the Simpsons episodes. Yeah, it's it's legitimately a funny episode, and and I it, it made me feel good. And you know what? It let Lisa have of some moments, which is something even classic Simpsons seem to not know how to do. And it th- it blows my mind that when they used to do those polls, like when TV Guide used to do the polls back in the day, you know, twenty years ago, mm. Lisa's wedding consistently came out as one of the top-rated Simpsons episodes. And Lisa's wedding is a great episode of Simpsons. And yet, even knowing that, the writers consistently give Lisa nothing to do. Like, we loved her, and they were like, ugh, girls are icky. Well, we can't pivot. We can't pivot too much, because then we'll start talking about John Schwartzwelder. And, like, the fact that... People had to go for his script and put in lines because otherwise he would just put... He would legitimately write entire scripts that didn't have any female characters in them at all. He just didn't like writing women. And he had I he had some strong scripts. There are some very good John Schwartzwelder written episodes, but like he was not good to women. I mean the whole staff was not good to women. There's God, like the episode with Marge's dress is like one of yes. the best episodes of The Simpsons. God, and that episode breaks my heart every time. And it it shows what you could do when you had female writers writing women on that show. It's such a beautiful episode, and the end is so sad, even though it's not supposed to be sad. Oh. It's... <sighs> yeah. I mean, uh, there are some brilliant Marge episodes. And then, like, the later stuff just turns her into, like diet lois griffin and and she's just like nagging and like she's nagging or it's like oh she's secretly a nymphomaniac who loves drugs and it's like that's 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 lois griffin you're just doing lois griffin well also you're just like trying to be edgy yeah edgy you do look also please let please stop the simpsons because julie kafner needs a break oh my god her voice 
If you listen, if you watch any later Simpsons seasons, you can tell like her voice is March? so. She's in so much pain. She sounds like she's in so much pain doing Marge's voice. When she started doing Marge, she didn't think she would have to do that voice for over 30 years. Oh. Like, her regular Marge just sounds like Patty and Selma now. You were watching a later Simpsons episode and I was in another room and just overhearing it. I thought it was Patty or Selma until I came in the room and saw it was it was the Marge voice. Oh. Oh. <laughs> poor Julie Kavner. Poor, poor Julie Kavner. But this isn't Welcome to Springfield. No, this is Farscape. Yes. So I mean, this is Welcome to the Unheard Territories. We are talking about Farscape. So John on and off very much in this episode. <laughs> so John and Stark are back in the cell, and John is just like messed up. And he he leans back into Stark's arms, and he's like, he's like Stark. Stark stroked my hair, and Stark's like, okay, John, I'm gonna stroke your hair and sing to you and make you feel better. And is there a large chipping thing for these two because i don't know if there is but also i feel like it's not it's not it's not romantic stark is holding him like the pieta oh i was about to say it's not romantic it's more like when you're holding back your friend's hair when she's vomiting after she drank too much at a party holding back your friend's hair when she's vomiting at a party is is the sorority version of the pieta that's true yeah so he takes off his half mask and he's like look at this star and feel at peace. And John's like, won't that burn out my retinas? And Stark's like, shh, shut up. Shut up and look at my star. But we see his power, which is this kind of healing power. Although I will say it's not it's not entirely clear in this episode. I feel like it's a they they play at it, but it's not entirely clear. Unlike Xan who heals, what Stark does is guide people to the other side. Jeez, that's messed up. Well, he's, he's, he's a death priest. He's like a priest who... who. Oh, by the way, I wonder who this character is going to end up replacing in the main cast. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was funny when you were guessing last week, but he hadn't done any of his healing stuff yet. And as soon as he took his mask off when we were watching it, you were like, oh, he replaced his hand. I got it. I yeah. got it. <laughs> but yes, he uh, he's he's like a death priest who helps ease your death. He, he does like last rites if we're talking about Catholicism again. Shut up and look at my star and die. Okay, but it it is it's not like he doesn't cause people to die. He just you know. If you're too busy looking at my star, you won't notice the fact that you're sinking into swamp muck. Like like a treu? <laughs> yeah, like the horse. Of course, then the horse wouldn't be sinking into the muck because he wouldn't be depressed. So. Yeah. So Crace is in the Aurora chair now. Yes. And and, and he's. Sp- Spilling memories all over the place. Okay, but I wanted to point out all of the memories he's spilling are things that we saw in the Maldus episode because I guess they weren't going to shoot any new footage for this episode. Fair. So all of his flashbacks are flashbacks to Maldus, which to me is kind of hilarious. I love how Crace is doing... He, he, he's, a, he's a good screamer. He's doing some very expressive screaming. And I love how Scorpius is like, oh my god. God, this guy sucks so much. <laughs> he does, though. <laughs> like, his face is just like, oh, God, I, I know we have to do this, but, like, I don't want to spend as little time with this guy's brain as possible. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just, let's just fast forward through this. Can we, can we watch this at, like, 1.5 speed? Uh, meanwhile, Jelena is, you know. Going, she's, she's, she's in her, she's in her office slash wet bar that we talked about last week 
Yep, and here come the cavalry. By which you mean Aaron? Yes. I, I love Aaron, like, grabs her from around the corner and is like... Grabs her face from around the corner. <laughs> she's like, is there surveillance in this cell? And Angelina's like, no. And Aaron's like, okay, well then I will enter the cell even though I've been walking up and down the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a, like, uh-oh, which one of us is John gonna bone? I, I, I don't want to bone John. Do you want to bone John? Oh, I don't want to bone John. In love, you know. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe an anime. Maybe I need to do a Farscape music video to uh, Jolene with these two. Especially because. Okay, obviously Aaron's Jolene, though. Yes. And. Uh... Well, but that's actually the thing. In Dolly Parton's Jolene, you can tell that the singer is into Jolene, you know? Like... Hi, Mark. This is Jolene. Your girlfriend <laughs> left a really weird message on my answering machine. But it is! Like, okay, and, and I'm, I'm here for it, okay? I'm here for... You know, you could have your choice of men, and, and your beauty is beyond compare. Like, I'm here for that. But clearly... Clearly, you need to explore your feelings for Jolene before you worry about who is or is not going to take your man. And it's the same with this, except it's not, except with some of the weird layers peeled away. Like, Jelena is in love with John, but, and she, and she can tell that John is obviously in love with Aaron. But also, she has a lot of respect for Aaron. When she sees her, she's like, you just got the tissue graft you should be in bed right now and yet here you are running around kicking ass you know i kind of like this song girl crush until i listened to jolene and then listened to it again like i i've obviously heard jolene but like listening to them side by side does not do girl crush any favors and you're like oh you were you were really i mean obviously it's just trying to be jolene but you listen to them back to back and you're like, oh, this is just a much worse version of Jolene. Well, listening to any song next to a Dolly Parton song that's similar is going to be bad for the non-Dolly Parton song. <laughs> so on the surface, this is the weird scene with Zan that I was talking about. It's, I, I don't really, I don't really know what's happening here. Um, Zan starts asking dargo about his sword and he goes off on this weird thing about she's like dargo by the way i always meant to ask you why do you have such a weird weapon and okay first of all it's not that weird a weapon it's a sword the only thing weird about it is how shitty it looks yeah also like zan you're they're fighting people on spaceships you can't go firing guns all willy-nilly in spaceships honestly a sword that turns into a gun and thus can be used as either is a great weapon on a ship yeah where you know where you may at some point be able to use a gun but then you don't have to rely on it yeah but instead dargo tells her the story of there was like a war or something and it looked like all hope was lost when their fancy new weapons got blown up but they had all these old sword guns lying around so they used the old sword guns and then it change the tide of the battle and there's like a prophecy or something about the final battle being fought with sword guns like he wants her to know that the swords have almost a religious significance to him and she's like oh i'm sorry i asked such a personal question and then that's the end of that scene oh i'm sorry that your species has such a stupid stupid religion like i i have to assume that the reason this was in was to set up a thing that happens with the sword in the future that we'll get to but 
it was weirdly wedged in there. It doesn't. It's, yeah, it doesn't fit in the episode at all. It's. It's so awkward. You know what it reminded me of? <laughs> this episode where we keep on making all these really <laughs> weird pivots, and that's how Barbie leads directly <laughs> to uh, to uh, George uh, Orwell's 1984. Yes. Okay. Fair. Fair. Fair burn on us, but no. I was thinking about how. Um, and now you can't cut that. Yes. But no, I was thinking about how in M. Night Shyamalan's Avatar movie, when they land on in the air temple and Katara's like, oh, by the way, can I ask you what your name is? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like 40 minutes into the movie. But just Zan being like, oh, by the way, I've been meaning to ask you, what's up with your weapon? Please, please deliver backstory to me. Okay, so just... The thing, there are so many things wrong with that movie, but if you want a movie that is basically a bunch of people yelling the Wikipedia episode descriptions of a TV show at each other, it's the perfect movie for you (laughs) because it covers the entire first season of the show, but they don't have time to film all that. So it's all just them yelling about stuff that happened off screen at each other. Well, it's so weird. It's like, why would you edit it? It it already exists in a visual medium, right? So you've already got the story out there and you know how long it takes to tell that story. This is how long it takes to tell that story. I mean, really? Well, they couldn't pronounce any of the characters' names right. And it, and he's like, oh, well, obviously Aang's name would be pronounced Ong in the culture it's based off of. And it's like, but it it's based, it's a TV show where they say his name all the time and it's Aang. Oh, God. <laughs> honestly, honestly, M. Night Shyamalan's movie is much better if you assume that what you're watching are the Ember Island players. Yeah, it's the, it's the Ember Island players if they got enough money to start a movie company. That's why that particular, that's why the bending all looks so terrible, too. I, say what you will about the Ember Island players, but the special effects that they had in their play were really cool. Yeah. And, and especially doing it all with, like, old school stagecraft. Yeah, the ribbon work. Yes, for, love that. Bend. Yeah. I've seen people do that with cosplay in real life, and it always looks amazing. Oh, did you see that girl who had the uh, transforming Cinderella dress, where she spun around and she like undid these clasps and just falls into the like from the uh, servant Cinderella to the ball? I was like, oh my god, that is legitimately amazing. Yeah, I i don't know why cosplayers don't get hired more often when people do live action remakes they're inevitably better and 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 also okay i'm not gonna go into a cosplay thing that's just that's just too far (laughs) out of what we're talking about which is a scene that i love it's just a few minutes long and i love it stark and john are in the cell and outside the cell aaron is talking to a guard saying that she was on Crisis Command Carrier and they picked up a magnetic pulse coming from this cell. And Stark, of course, thinks that John has sold him out and told them about the magnetic decryption device he has. And there's just so much I love in this scene. The security guy who's like, um, there's nothing. And then he scans the cell and is like, oh, what's that? And Aaron goes, Obviously, it's nothing. And just her face, her face, go! 
God, I love Claudia Black's face. And then Stark freaks out, I so said it, John, and is like yelling at him. And he's like, why did you turn me in? Even though, you know, he can't resist the chair. But he's like, you betrayed me. And then Aaron like knocks out the security guard. And John says, it's okay, I know her. That is the radiant Aaron soon. It is a great turn of phrase. And then Stark's answer is, how many peacekeepers on this base do you know? Uh, of course, no, in the biblical way. Yeah, right? Okay, so uh, that was what you said last week, right? Sleep with as many people as possible because you might need their help someday. Yeah. Which also brings us back to Will Riker. That's his plan. That's his space plan. That's why he always, you know, he enters every mission playing the bassoon, the sexiest of all instruments. <laughs> This scene is, I think, emblematic of what I really like about Justin Manchu's writing, okay? Mm -hmm. There's, like, a little bit of action, a little bit of snark and humor, and then a little bit of, like, true heart when John looks up at Aaron and is, like, genuinely in awe to see her there because he loves her. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got everything perfectly mapped out, perfectly contained in this tiny scene. I, I, I really like this writer. I'm, I'm, I'm really here for him and this episode that he has written. Hmm. Anyway, Aaron's there to rescue them. Yes. Meanwhile, you know, Grace is still, you know, in the worst chair ever, reliving all of the scenes that they've already recorded because they're not doing new stuff. Yeah. Including when he broke his uh, lieutenant's neck for no reason. Because she was the only person who knew that Peacekeeper Command had told him to stop chasing John. Yeah, but I mean, she was so loyal to you, dude. It's true. And you really need at least some people in your corner. She wouldn't have turned her back on you just because the S&M alien said so. Right? So Peacekeeper Barbie informs Scorpius that the memory of killing Lieutenant Teague, that's what he was holding on to. And he doesn't have the wormhole technology. But she weirdly says that the wormhole technology is not in this captain's head. Hmm. Like, she puts a weird emphasis on this. Does she mean, like, as opposed to John, whose head it is in? Or yeah, is he's she... not a captain, right? Yeah, he's not a captain. Or is she implying that this might be a clone? Or that what we had seen in the chair might have been someone who wasn't actually Crace, but was an impersonator? Because she's still really invested in believing that the chair doesn't make up fake memories? Do they have face-swapping technology in space? Well, we know they don't. Because we saw when Shiana tried to disguise herself as a peacekeeper. God. I didn't talk about it last week, but I really respected, you know, on Star Trek, there are episodes, like there's an episode where Deanna goes undercover as a Romulan, and they have, like, they just put Marina Surchis in Romulan makeup. Like, they're like, yeah, this is how good our technology is. And that this show doesn't do that. This show's like... We're just going to put her in this terrible black wig. Nobody will notice. I'm sorry. That's, the thing I love about the Lower Decks one episode in. Yeah. The, the thing with the food replicator. How the food replicators keep breaking because, you know. You can't get any food in it. You can't get any food in there. <laughs> just a hot banana. Hot banana. Hot banana. You know what's weird about Lower Decks? What? We see them trying to fix the food replicators. Uh, there is already a TV show, Red Dwarf, that follows the technicians whose job it is to fix the food replicators. Well, I mean, I don't think that's his primary job. I think that's the thing he ends up doing a lot. Cause... I was just wondering if that wasn't a Red Dwarf reference. Oh, it probably was. Do you know that the 
medical student who transferred in the lower decks. I've read this thing about her, uh, the species that she is. Yeah. They they show up in one of the early episodes of the original series as like this sexy slave race. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And Captain Pike like owns one of them. Yeah. Because. Ugh. Well. Okay. Not as uh huh. Apparently, I I haven't seen the episode, but they're and they're talking about how much is just implied with her backstory. By the fact that, you know, now she's she's in Starfleet and uh, you get, you know, to see her home planet and it's like, like, it's, it's a don't like, it's a stupid, uh, it's a stupid Star Trek comedy show. But like, it's Im- implying all of these big things that happened to this one throwaway species from the original series. And you can pick up on that if you're familiar enough with the lore, which I wasn't, but I read a thing. Well, what's interesting is they bring that species in that a girl of that species is Uhura's roommate in the Academy in Star Trek 2009 in that movie, in the J.J. Abrams movie. Mm-hmm. The one who sleeps with Kirk and then gets blown up. We're, that's what I'm saying. In Star Trek 2009, they made it a stupid joke. Whereas in Star Trek Lower Decks, which is a cartoon, <laughs> they actually gave it some weight. So, okay. Um, I regret to inform you that... After we get after we get Jelena and John and Aaron and Stark escaping from from the cell and trying to get, you know, off of the base, mm-hmm. we cut back to Moya for a terrible sequence that honestly I just really, really, really could have done without. Can we just kind of blaze through this really fast? It's okay. You know what? I'm just I'll say everything that happens in that sequence, and then we won't talk about it again, even though we're cutting back and forth to it. So Moya needs to vent oxygen so that she can birth her baby and so chiana and rigel have to get very quickly to some place that has oxygen so they have to squeeze into this little pressurized tube together there's some really gross jokes and then it they bring back the whole rigel farting helium thing which i thought we agreed that you know let's just not reference that's terrible terrible joke from the first episode and then it ends on a titanic reference when rigel's little puppet hand hits the fogged up glass okay that's it i'm not talking about that sequence anymore oh i thought we were gonna cut the whole i thought we were gonna just blaze through the whole moya giving birth subplot because it feels real jammed into this episode oh all right let's do that so then Okay, so Moya's having trouble giving birth to the baby because it has, like, guns and stuff. Because, you know, she's a ship, a living ship. But normally, Leviathans don't have guns and stuff, but this one does. So, they perform, uh, in order to get it out, they have to perform an internal C-section by having the baby fire its guns at the lowest possible, uh... It's more like an internal episiotomy, where you have to, like, cut the, the vaginal opening just a little bit. Yeah, but with the guns. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Chiana has to has to aim the guns and fire them a little bit so that the ship can slide out. Yes. Also, there's some concern because the ship is covered with weapons and also it is black and red, <gasps> Peacekeeper colors. Uh-oh. Yeah. And... Oh, my God. Is Grace the dad? Well, I mean, it's a... No, no, it's a Peacekeeper ship. It's a, a Peacekeeper ship. Is the Humans cannot impregnate ships, Max. I'm just gonna, like, spoiler alert, humans don't impregnate ships. But he's not a human, he's a Sebaceous sebace. don't impregnate ships, actually. <laughs> no, one of the things with Peacekeepers is that, the, with Sebaceous... Is, is that they can breed with, like, any species. Okay, we're not gonna go there. We're, we're not gonna, de- we're not gonna go into that. He's a sad, lonely man, Tina. We're not gonna go into that. The point is, the and the tension 
in the next two episodes that we're going to get with the ship, which is going to be named Talon. I keep wanting to say Talon, even though it hasn't been named yet. Talon. What we're going to, the, the tension we're going to get with Talon is, is he going to be under the control of Moya or under the control of the Peacekeepers? Why would he be under the control of the Peacekeepers? Because he's filled with Peacekeeper DNA. And he's a ship, therefore well, some parts So's of- Aaron. <laughs> All right. Great. No, no, no. Okay. I Segwaying back to what's happening, because it's going to be really relevant to Aaron's next sequence. Hmm. Hello. Percy. But yes, to sum up that subplot, yes, Moya gives birth to a baby who is covered in weapons and is peacekeeper colored. I was actually reading in, in the Farscape Illustrated Guide that we were talking about earlier that the debates with Moya's child was, should it be a peacekeeper-shaped ship that had an outer hull that looked like Moya or a Moya-shaped ship that had an outer hull that looked like a peacekeeper ship? Mm. And they went with a Moya-shaped ship with peacekeeper colors, which I think was the right way to go. It's a slick-looking ship. So on the Gamic base, the escape has been noted and everything has been locked down, which means they need a senior officer's ident ship to get out of anywhere. Everything's been locked down. (sighs) So Aaron is going... Well, I mean, I guess because he was thrown in prison, I was like, it's too bad he didn't hang on to a thing from the last episode. Well, I mean, he got busted, so I'm sure it's been deactivated. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure the rocks chip is deactivated. But Aaron is going to go out and bag a senior officer and grab his chip. Mm-hmm. Which means, by the way, that she's leaving John and Jelena alone so that they can have a... Uh... Sexy conversation about how, you know, he doesn't actually love her. He loves Aaron. I, I feel like that's the opposite of sexy. A non-sexy conversation about how John doesn't love her, but yes, that's well. He's he doesn't love her. He's not sexual. He's not not sexually attracted to her. Huh. Huh. All right. Speaking of Aaron's peacekeeper DNA, she shows up. She she finds her way into the room where the Aurora chair is, and okay, Scorpius has left presumably to go find John, but he has left Crace strapped into the chair. Facing the screen that has an image of him killing Lieutenant Teague. Wow, what a jerk. Yeah. Aaron comes up behind him and is like, well, 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 we meet again. And he's like, yeah, for me it was Tuesday. I have no idea who you are based on your voice. Speaking of meme speak. Yes, speaking of meme speak. Which we were like seven million years ago. Quite, quite a while ago. Anyway, Aaron. Aaron's like. Wow, I'm really glad I didn't stick with your crew and go for that promotion I was aiming for, because, uh, look at that. Okay, this, I, I mentioned earlier that this is, like, I love all of the crazy stuff, and if you've ever had a bad boss, it's so great. A bad boss or a bad breakup, I think, because she comes out to face him, and she's like, hey, how the turntables have, yeah. I'm gonna go all Carrie Underwood on your ass. Right? Crace tries to play the only card he has, which it turns out he does not even have, and is like, you're still a peacekeeper, and, uh... I'm still your commanding officer, and she's like, no, you're not! You tried to have me killed because I spent 15 minutes with human guy. She says, what I learned when you kicked me out is that the whole peacekeeper thing is BS, so, uh... No. You don't get to pull rank after you try to have someone killed. Right? She tells him you will never order me around again. And he says that he's going to kill her. He says, I give you this vow. And she says, well, Grace, I give you your life. Which, okay, I love this. I love this. 
Because the implication is, I'm not going to kill you, but what she actually means is, I'm going to turn the chair up to maximum and make you watch your life over and over again until your brain explodes. Oof, jeez. Also, Grace, 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 buddy, I would be more worried if you said, I'm going to hunt someone who has nothing to do with you, just going off your track record thus far. Next time I'll aim for the mannequin and hit you! (laughs) Yeah, that... An entire character summed up in a single line from King of the Hill. So Also, I, is, shouldn't this make his brain explode? Isn't that the deal with the chair? Yeah, but somebody gets him out before. Okay. Erin uh, takes his ident chip, by the way. That's she, She's got the ident chip now. Also, Erin is able to turn the chair on. And I feel like this is very much John rubbing up on her. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I mean, rubbing off isn't exactly less sexual. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep that misspeak in. I'm not going to edit this out. Okay. All right. I feel like that is very much John rubbing off on her. <laughs> that she's able to just walk up and use tech she's never used before. Presumably she's never used this tech before because, you know, it's secret tech in a in Area 51. In Space Area 51. Mm. Is Area 51 Space Area 51 already? No, it's, it's Earth Area 51. Okay. They just look at space stuff there. Okay. So down in the in the tubes where Jelena and John are hiding, Jelena's like, "Hey, um, you and Aaron are Endgame, right? I I I'm not gonna go with you if we're not Endgame." And John's like, "Oh no, baby, I love you. Come on, but like, yeah, probably, prob- probably not. Probably not gonna work out. But like, no, oh, baby, you you meant so much to me. The way we kissed when we were finding those battle toads it was great." John genuinely does care for her and I think he probably feels a little bad that she's just blown up her whole life for him yeah but like it's the sexual equivalent of for me it was Tuesday I'm just saying there are no assholes here you know yeah and and I mean this John didn't ask her to do any of the life blowing up stuff that she did right and and I don't think he Gianna lied to her so that she would do more to help them but John never lied to her. And honestly, Jelena never really believed Chiana's lies. I do love how John's like, I can't talk about this now. I have to go make sure that we're going to escape. And then Aaron pops in and she's like, got the ident chip. And Jelena's like, uh, so are you and John endgame? And Aaron's like, I don't want to talk about this. I Okay, so Jelena's like, okay, you guys obviously are endgame. And I know what happens to third wheels in stories, especially when they're blonde. Mm. So I'm going to take off on my own. Which I'm totally capable of doing and have a nice life. And Erin is genre savvy enough too that she's like, no, if you just take off now, John's going to think that I killed you or sent you away. You have to tell John at least that you are leaving of your own accord. Mm. But no, no, Jelena takes off. Really, really should have committed to this plan of action. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Jelena. Yeah. These... I mean, to be fair, she was supposed to, her character was written to die in the Zalbanian episode, so she she got an extra episode out of just being Boy, her and Chiana. Yeah. Yeah. So, bad wig lady turns off the chair before it kills uh Grace and uh S&M goblin guys like, they won't get away with this. <laughs> I need wormholes." <laughs> okay, this is very important though. He needs wormholes. Which means that John can't be killed, right? So 
they're going to chase him down, they're going to do whatever, but he Scorpius needs John alive, so he has that little bit of protection right now. But yes. Scorpius needs him alive to get the wormhole tech out of him. Yeah, I, I know we mentioned this last time, but we're just doing Chuck now. Yeah, yeah, he's got the intercept. He's got the intercept. So, <laughs> John does ask Aaron what happened to Jelena, and Aaron's like, she left! And John's like, wait, I have to go find her! And Aaron is like, no! She left of her own accord to do her own thing. Respect that and let's get the F out of here. She literally works here, John. (laughs) So so everyone makes it to the surface where Dargo and Xan are waiting with their explosives, remember? Yep. And John's like, oh, that was easy. Escaping. I have to say this whole thing um, really does make me think of the good place because at the end of the day, the plan is just going to be to throw a Molotov cocktail and run. Have a different problem. Exactly. So all of the peacekeepers start, you know, pew, 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 which it seems kind of like they're ignoring the whole thing that SM alien told them about not killing John because they're. Yeah, it seems like John could very easily die in this in this firefight that's happening on the surface. But yeah, so whatever. The bad aliens are like pew, 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 pew. And the good guys are like pew, 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 pew. And Zan's like, oh, right. Bombs. I've been building bombs all episode. Uh, and and. Uh, John and John and Stark share like this moment where John's like, let's throw this bomb. And Stark's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. How are there not more John Stark shippers? I'm, I'm surprised. Honestly, I'm not sure if there aren't John Stark shippers. I just don't know if there are or not. Maybe this isn't the sort of show that has that kind of fan base. Unlike Star Trek. Unlike, well, unlike our previous show, Once Upon a Time, where shipping is a huge thing. I don't really think of shipping as being a huge deal in farscape i feel like most people who watch the show shipped so to speak john and aaron but that's that's endgame like john and aaron obviously endgame yeah oh no they're both so attractive i wonder what's gonna happen here's the thing their romance the way it develops on this show which i mean we've only just begun to see john and aaron's romance develop and i legit think it's one of the best romantic stories done on television Better than Moldy. What 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 is that the ship name for? Mulder and Scully. Moldy. Moldy. Sorry. Yes, but but better than Moldy. Well, it could be Scalder. Oh, I like Scalder because it almost sounds like Smolder, but Scalder. Yeah, I I said that as a joke, but I guess it is the better of the two. Uh, poor Mont poor Manteau, uh, ship names. But they don't even they don't even get together though. That was the whole deal with them. Uh... Until the movies. Uh, yeah, those don't count. <laughs> well, I mean, they did the same thing with Troy and Riker, right? Like, they didn't get together in the show, but then they hooked up in the movies. Okay, yes, but Troy and Riker are different because their deal is that they were together before the show started. Their exes living on a ship together. Okay, wasn't there, like, a novel written about how they were soulmates? And then when they started, uh, when Troy started dating Worf uh, in the show, they had to write a follow-up novel that was like, actually, you get a backup soulmate and Troy's is Worf. <laughs> The stories you are thinking, the books you are thinking of were written by Peter David. They're called Imzadi and Imzadi 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, fun fact, you, you mentioned earlier reading a story at a friend of ours's uh, party. A friend of ours has a party yearly, although not this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, sorry. Shake it off. A friend of ours has a party where people read erotic fan fiction. Uh, last year, I read that weirdly sexual uh, letter Megan Trainer wrote. Yes. About marrying that kid from spy kids i mean he's an adult from spy kids now but well the first time i ever attended that party i read a section from imzadi 
My point is, this is the best written love story on any television show ever, and so there aren't, I don't think there are a lot of non-John Aaron shippers, just because the story that the show gives us- (laughs) Swan Queen. Oh, you mean that actually got together in the show? Yeah, like the show actually gives, yeah, yeah, that's my point. The show gives us this amazing story. Most, I think strong shipping really comes from the show not giving you what you want. Yeah, I mean, that's why all of these shows tend to end when the two, you know, when Bones starts dating Brennan, or not end necessarily, but stop being good a lot of the time. Moonlighting, The Office, um, other shows. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, what's the one with Nathan Fillion and that woman he hated? Castle. Castle. I mean, this isn't the case, but like, this isn't the case at all, actually, but Buffy and Angel, where, you know, where it was like, oh, we're starting to seriously date. I guess we better spin him off into the his own show before he ruins Buffy for us. So I, Although, I, I can't rewatch the, I, I legitimately have trouble rewatching the early seasons of Buffy because of how creepy that romance is. Sorry, go on. I I actually think that that trope is untrue. I think Bones is just as good once Bones and uh, Booth get together. I think I think The Office showing Jim and Pam like going through a relationship, like like actually going through the hardships of marriage and coming out of it. I think that those are good storylines. I um I've never seen Moonlighting, which is the traditional one, but I think that. Moonlight. I think that what happened is Moonlighting's writing got bad after they got together, hmm. and then they were like, "Ah, it must be because we got them together." I mean, I think that's true for a lot of shows, like because you have the first few seasons which are plotted out, and then you know after that point you get a new writing staff or the people who are there are sick of being there, and that's when the show gets. I think it's a coincidental thing more than anything else. Yeah. Now, when I was at the very top of our episode, when I was talking about other episodes Justin Manjo wrote. Um, I mentioned one that we haven't gotten to called The Locket, which is a John Aaron's relationship episode and is one of the most powerful episodes of the series. Like, their relationship really anchors this show in a way that I feel like science fiction doesn't usually let relationships anchor shows. Mm -hmm. In fact, fun, fun fact, fun, on, uh, you know how, uh, the Air Force will assist shows or movies that use air force equipment but then they will come in with their own like demands about what can and can't happen yes so on stargate the main couple that you would think would be endgame since they're both air force officers the air force said that they could not show them getting together because that would be against regulations that would be against regulations and they didn't want that to be portrayed on television so instead there's just like this really weird no, they're not going to. Like, will they, won't they, except no, they're not going to. Well, I don't know if you ever saw it, but do you remember the show Just Shoot Me? Of course. You remember how they tried to build a uh, romance between the uh, mousy writer lady and the, like, photographer guy who was played by Veronica Mars's dad? And they were, like, trying to do this whole Ross and Rachel thing with them until they realized no one cared, so they just dropped it. I don't remember that. Oh, I believe it. I don't remember that because basically all I remember from Just Shoot Me is Wendy Malick being amazing. Wendy Malick is amazing in that show. I watched a lot of episodes of it just because I really liked the ending theme song. I don't remember that. The, you know, life keeps bringing me back to you, keeps bringing me home. 
it's got a really catchy ending theme song and that was before you know you could just find whatever music you wanted by looking on the internet so you watched the show so you could get the theme song yeah i totally get that oh, the end theme though that's the thing so you watch the whole episode yeah because yeah. you don't know when it's gonna end <laughs> so on the surface john and stark are having their moment and okay there's this great thing where they talk about what it was that they were hiding from the chair. And John says, I was hiding a memory about the time I kissed a girl. And, and liked it. And liked it. And Stark says, I was hiding the memory of a place I saw when I was a boy. Yeah, because he's trying to hide his people from the peacekeepers, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a little more in depth than that, but we will get the whole story later. But what I like is Stark just throwing away that line gives him all of the depth that John has. Like, he has the same kind of toss-away line that John does, and so we know that Stark has the same, like, depth of backstory that we already know about John. Mm. It's kind of the same thing that you were talking about on Lower Decks, right? Like, the implication of this really deep story, which we'll get, we'll start to get more of when Stark becomes a main character. But mm. it, it gives his character a real, a real life. I love how Zan, during the shootout, is just, like, killing all these guys. And she's like, I'm a priest! <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe I'm a priest. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably a priest. But, anyway, uh, John is, you know, trying to escape. They're all getting away. John nearly gets shot, but then Jelena, you know, knows in front of him. And, okay, you know. Yeah, he, he gets... He gets grabbed by Scorpius. So, like, Scorpius has a gun on him. Scorpius is gonna scorp. Scorpius is gonna scorp. And Jelena shows up because she couldn't... She just couldn't leave because she loves John. And Scorpius shoots her, which allows John to escape. But now Jelena is shot. And it's like, she tried so hard not to be this character. She did everything she could not to be the expendable girl who, like, drags the storyline out before John gets together with Aaron, but she, she suffered the fate that eventually all blonde women in our podcast must face, apparently. Yeah, I was supposed to say, what is this, Charmed? <laughs> She's like, I should have had a different hair color. Blech. She should have gotten one of those cheap red wigs. Yeah. But Scorpius stands there and he's like... He watch- yeah. yeah, he watches them escape, like, all ominously. So, turns out Jelena did them one final solid. Uh, before she died, she scrambled all the data they got from John's brain so they won't be able to just, like, track them all willy-nilly. Yeah. So, oh, also, she's not quite dead yet. She has to come with John first so she can die on Moya. Oh, my. It's like the the... Kirk's wife on that amnesia planet where like they threw a billion rocks at her and she's like oh I'm dying in like three days because apparently in the apparently in the future we don't have a cure for blunt force trauma okay to be fair though McCoy was unable to save her which is some bullshit makes sense to me that on an escaped prison ship with a kind of half priest, half healer. Oh no, I, I'm not. I'm not smack talking them for not being able to save Jelena. I'm just saying. I'm like. I think McCoy's like. You know what? We're just gonna let this one go. McCoy's like. It would make things complicated for the captain. Yeah, like he can't have a wife and a kid. But John and Jelena get like their goodbye. Where Jelena tells John that she loved him, and John kisses her, and 
she gets her tragic death, but also, and I feel like this is the real reason they brought Jelena up onto the ship. Uh, so, so Zorn can eat her soul with his sun face. So we, the audience, can watch Stark doing the thing where he, like, helps, where he eases a person into the next life. So is he doing that to, to John, even though John wasn't dying to ease his pain earlier? Can he do it to people who aren't dying? Yeah. Okay. Because otherwise, I'm like... Yeah, that's not his, it's not his main job, but yes, he can. That's what he was doing with John. But he does this with Jelena, and he tells her he's giving her the memory of a place, mm. which sounds a lot like the thing he said to John. And uh, he tells John that she'll be part of him, him being Stark forever. So you better make sure nothing happens to Stark unless you want the last bit of your girlfriend to die. Uh-huh. I feel like I accidentally stumbled upon something there. So Farscape ends. That's the end of this episode. Yeah. We didn't talk about it very much, but it was a pretty solid episode. I love this episode. I, I, because usually once I get going, you know, once, once I get to, uh, once I get to the Rock episode, I don't stop. You know, I watch that and then I watch Nerve and then I watch this and then maybe I'll stop because now we have two more episodes. But watching them individually the way we did, this episode on its own is so, like, powerful. I think it's probably the strongest of the three. Oh, definitely. I, I I really wish they didn't put... I, I get it. They had to do the whole Moya giving birth thing to explain why she can't starburst from this point on, blah, blah, blah. But it feels so shoehorned into this episode. Oh, there was another important thing about that that we didn't mention. Moya can't starburst again now because she has to travel slowly at the speed that her baby ship can travel. Yes, so now they're going to be going much, much slower because they have to go baby speeds. Yes. I don't have a problem with the ship being born. In fact, I kind of like the internal episiotomy that they had to do. Because it ex- the fact that Shiano, like the way it went down, in it explains why, we'll find out later, the peacekeepers have been trying to make a Leviathan hybrid for a while and have been failing. And the reason they've been failing is because they were trying to deliver it like peacekeepers and not like, you know, with an Abari midwife, the way this one was was delivered. I just, it felt oddly crammed in. Like, it felt like maybe they should have spread it out throughout more of the episode instead of just sort of being stuck in the last half in like two chunks. Yes, and then they should have cut all of the stuff with venting into space and hiding in the pressure tube. Oh, yep, the stupid, like, two solid minutes of fart jokes. Like, really? Fart and sexual assault jokes. Because there's also jokes about how they're crammed so close together and, like, Rigel is feeling up Chiana. Which, you're not a body breeder. Also, also, ugh. (laughs) But let's not think about those, those parts. It's the 90s. It is the 90s. All right, so what have we got next week? So next week's episode is called Bone to be Wild. (laughs) Sorry. Moya hides in an asteroid field from a Peacekeeper command carrier. They receive a distress call, and Crichton, Zan, and Dargo go down to one of the asteroids to rescue a woman who becomes intent on eating them. As one does. As one does. I feel like this description is kind of spoilery. Are we not supposed to find out that she's intent on eating them until, like, halfway through the episode? Yeah. I mean, that is the plot, though, so I guess that's I guess that's okay. A woman who's got dark motives. There you go. Yes. A woman who's not all she seems. Oh, okay. I like that one. So, segments. All right. So, our first segment is A Distant Part of the Universe, 
Which is what world building worked for you in this episode. God, everything was Stark. This is going to be a real Stark-heavy thing. He's heads up there. <laughs> so um, Stark mentions that he is part of what is called the Bannock slave race. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I like the way that Stark's stuff, not just is world building, which it really is, but the way it's it's dropped in a way that lets you know that this universe is... A rich tapestry. Like, there's a lot going on in this universe, and you'll get it as as we go, but it's not, it's not, it can't be info-dumped like Dargo's sword. It's, it's a real race with a real history that you will get as we go. Um, but for me, I actually, you know, we, we talked about it last week, and honestly the week before, but the part that really was interesting to me is the way the gamic base operates within the peacekeeper society Mm. we've we know already that peacekeepers kind of look down on techs but they must have someone who's doing the science that keeps them at the forefront of you know of weapons technology well it's it's a garbage men thing you need garbage men without garbage men society would collapse but people look down on garbage men despite them doing like, the most necessary job in society. Well, which is why you get Craze, a man who is a traitor on the run, looking down on Scorpius, a half sebation, and not really realizing that he has misjudged his place in the pecking order on this base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that, that was my uh, distant part of the universe. Not really a strange alien creatures this week. Well... No, because we talked about it last week, but it wasn't really shown until this week. I mean, I gotta go with Stark's Sunface. Stark's Sunface was really cool. And I like the effect. I mean, considering that this is late 90s... CG, I mean... Yeah, it looks great. It's solid. It holds up. He he takes off his mask and half of it is a sun. Half of his face is a star and it, it doesn't look... It doesn't look bad. Even today. Even by today's standards. Which will take us to our last segment... Looking for a way home, which is what worked for you emotionally in this episode. John and Stark's sorority moment, where John was all injured and Stark was easing his pain, and they were talking about their respective. Like, I liked it. I, I I've lo- I like all of the Stark John interactions. That yeah, the Stark John interactions are great, and for me, it's um. I also love how Stark immediately picked up John's Barbie thing. Like he he repeats it later, and he repeats a. Uh, John calling Scorpius Scorpy. He does. Yeah, he he mirrors John. Which I, I like that we're finally having a character who's responding to the weird stuff John says. Yeah. For me, a different John Stark moment, which is Stark throwing himself onto the guards to prevent John from being found out when Jelena is talking to him on the camera. Yeah. Is, is my moment. Yeah. So I guess that's it for this week. Yeah, that'll about do it. Yeah, two more episodes until the finale. Huh. Yeah, I'm I'm of this of of this season. I you know season one of Farscape is so rough, and I you know I don't want to curse it, but we're, I feel like we're really over the hump of rough stuff now. And uh, I feel like that's never a safe thing to say. <laughs> I know. Why did I just say that? Why did I just say that? But. I'm I'm excited to kind of get into finally so late in the game. I'm excited to have finally gotten into the plot of Farscape, as it were. Yes. And and I I don't know now that now that Shiana's on the ship and now that Stark is on the ship, 
there are other characters who will join the show later, but I feel like we're, we've got the gang together now. Like, we are, we have the team assembled. All right. So, so speaking of teams. Speaking of teams, our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net and click on our Patreon link. I'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. Uh, if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.